Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Riga. It's Real Estate Group Atlanta. This is a group of influential group of developers, the property owners, and really all the professionals that support them. Uh, and they're based in Atlanta. If you need anything with any kind of construction, uh, development, uh, anything in Atlanta, check out Riga. It's R-E-G atlanta.com in fact today we're doing the show with a live virtual audience of riga members so uh, they're here in the audience as we do the show today and what we're doing is we're continuing our corona time coverage we're really covering kind of where we are today in the market how commercial real estate participants are dealing with it and what we should expect moving forward my guest is one of my favorite guests of all time we've had on the show. It's Casey Conway. And Casey has a lot of other accolades and positions, but he's also CCIM Institute's uh, lead economist. And Casey, uh, really appreciate you joining us on the Commercial Real Estate Show today and uh, with uh, Riga. Thanks, Michael. Great to be with you. And even though it's a Zoom, I still brought my red shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, look, we like to say that the date on these shows now because things tend to be uh, changing fairly quickly. So it's June 2nd as we tape this. The, the curve's flattened and businesses are, are starting to open. Uh, unemployment is really just rampant right now. Uh, major industries are in trouble. Uh, and Casey, I really wanted to wait to have you on the show till we kind of got to a point maybe where we are today where there's a little bit of signals and signs. So my question to you, my first question, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Where are we on the economy today? Yeah, great question. I, I had a really good answer about eight days ago. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where we're, where we're headed now um, with another dynamic of this thing. But, um, you know, I think we're, we're, what we need to prepare ourselves for, and I've, I've had a, I've had a saying, look up and forward and engage in daily what if thinking. Looking up and forward is your only way to find that light at the end of the tunnel. Otherwise, down and back is going to take you deeper into the cave. So uh, I think we have to try to keep looking up and forward. But as we look up and forward, not all the news is going to be great. In fact, this Friday, I think we're going to get another one of these continuation of worst ever economic reports. I think the jobs report Friday will show that we have a 30% real total unemployment rate, which will be absolutely mind boggling. Uh, the U6 is the rate that I follow, the total unemployment rate. It's, it, in, in April, it hit 22.4% uh, in the May jobs report. I think this one will go above 30%. We, I think we're gonna face a kind of a W-shaped uh, recovery here. Uh, so we went down, we'll have some recovery here this summer. But I think as some of the um, intervention measures burn off um, and states uh, have to you know, get people back to work and they don't have an un unlimited pot of, um, uh, of money for unemployment insurance and everything else, we're gonna discover this fall and going into the winter, the holes that we didn't plug. And in particular, I think in the other L&T industry, so we know L&T is logistics transportation, but I'm particularly worried about the leisure and travel. Um, I think the airlines will go through uh, bankruptcy rather than the government bailout program. We can talk about that. We've already seen some of the spillover from the airports, uh, the rental car companies like Hertz and Advantage going bankrupt. There's a lot more to come. When you have one in four to one in three Americans unemployed, um, we're not going to go back to 5% unemployment by the holidays. This is going to spill over into next year, at least a 10% unemployment rate the first half of next year. 
there's a lot of structural damage done to this economy. And uh, so, I mean, we got to just keep plowing forward. I think the Fed's done a commendable job throwing everything at it. I don't know what the dollar is going to be worth when they get through. I mean, we went from a $4 trillion balance sheet to $7 trillion in 60 days. They said they may go to 10 or $20 trillion. That's almost a full year of GDP. So let's not worry about what the dollar is worth. You know, let's just buy real estate. It's a tangible asset. It's perfect edge. Right, Michael? Just, just match us up with some good real estate. <laughs> that's right. You know, and the optimists among us uh, would say that, hey, we're going to have a big rebound here uh, in the third and fourth quarter. You know, what, what, what's it really look like? You mentioned the W, but uh, kind of what, what's the timing that you expect? Yeah, so one of the things I've encouraged people to pivot to is really listen to and monitor the corporate earnings. So we just completed quarter one uh, earnings season. I honestly reviewed almost all of the S&P 500 companies' earnings. I'm brain dead, uh, more gray matter destroyed. But there is just tremendous nuggets. And as you know, most companies have quit giving forward guidance. And I pray we never go back to giving forward financial ratios because the behavior is what's really telling us what's going on. So let me use a couple of good Atlanta examples. Home Depot. So Home Depot beat on top line revenue. Um, they beat on same store sale comps. Um, but they missed on earnings per share. But they missed on earnings per share for two reasons. First of all, they took, they had the audacity to take 60 cents a share and redirect it towards sustaining employees and redoing store structures so they could stay open and continue to operate. The second thing is they did not suspend their capital CapEx spending. They're midway through about an $11 billion major overhaul of all their e-commerce software technology and systems. And they said, look at the thing that's powering us forward in, in total sales, e-commerce sales and everything is this technology platform. So I applaud Home Depot for doing the right things, being ahead of keeping stores open, taking care of their employees, even those that'd be furloughed and recognizing that you have to invest, you have to spend capital to get going. So Home Depot's numbers were phenomenal. That's a great homegrown story for us in Atlanta. Um, so I looked at a lot of them. I looked at, you know, on the logistics side, someone like Prologis, they said, what recession? <laughs> you know, in the industrial and logistics se sector, they, they see no problems. They saw more requests to go find space. They did over 138 leases in April. I mean, absolutely an incredible story there. But I think where we've got to understand is, that um, put leisure and travel, for example, in, our, in focus, that's 10% of the world's GDP. And in the United States, we're the 10th largest leisure and travel market in the world. Um, and when you think of all of the towns and the places where we do business travel and airports, so one of the metrics that I'm paying very, very close attention to that will tell me how quickly we're recovering and at what trajectory is the TSA passenger count. So TSA keeps a daily count of how many passengers are going through the airports. Leading into the 1st of March, we had 2.3 million people a day going through our airports. That collapsed in April to about 85,000, 95% reduction. It's only climbed back to about 250,000, even with the states reopening in the month of May. If we don't get that number back to a million and a half by the fall or the holidays, we're in very, very serious damage. So those are a few things. I'm really studying the corporate earnings, the behavior. Uh, Winston Churchill, I've been going back doing some of my studying about how did, how did leaders guide us through things like World War II and the polio epidemic and everything else. Winston Churchill had a great quote. He says, by lateness clear, he said, in his career, he said, I quit listening to people. This isn't good news if you're a radio show host, Michael. <laughs> I quit listening to people. <laughs> I, I watch behavior. Behavior never lies. 
that's why I'm looking at the forward-looking behavior mechanisms. Number of people say in um, loan forbearance programs on mortgages, what happens when those burn off a year from now? What happens if people don't fly? If we stay at a million or less passengers, what does that do to our airports, our municipal bonds, city of Atlanta, uh, paying for the operations at the Atlanta airport, all of those type things. That's what I worry about really six months down the road. Those are the holes we're gonna have to plug. We're talking with Casey Conway, CCIM economist, uh, with uh, the Riga Group members in attendance here on our show today. And, you know, talk to us a little bit more, Casey, about jobs. I mean, uh, jobs seem to be a big part of, of how our commercial real estate runs. What type of jobs do you expect to, to, have, to have trouble or, to, or even to grow? You know, what, what's it going to do to us moving forward? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's, it, this is a very structural change because we may not have as many jobs in the touch services type industry. So restaurant, hotel, uh, destination, uh, th things that where we, where we travel to, where we have to go to, we may not even see it in office. We may see an unwind of the office density ratio from one, one employee per 150 to 180 square feet. We may go back above 200. Uh, Equifax told us in earnings to get ready for a new line item called redundancy costs. We're companies that have major leases on big office buildings in downtown and dense markets. Uh, so midtown and downtown Atlanta, as much as New York or San Francisco or Chicago. And they're finding their employees don't want to go back to dense environments. They, they don't want to be in crowded lobbies and elevators. Uh, they don't want to do public transportation. Um, you know, or, or public distransportation, I-285, what it used to be <laughs> um, in our city. And so what Equifax and these major companies are doing is they're looking and putting bids out for limited amounts of suburban space where teammates can still come in and meet with a customer or work on a project in more of a, a conference room type setting rather than cubicles. So I think we're gonna see even in the white collar services, we saw in the May numbers, um, uh, the May jobs report for April, 2.1 million professional service jobs eliminated. So think about it in terms of, you know, on the banking. Uh, another good example I'll give you of professional services jobs that are really disguised up in the, in the hospitality industry. Marriott, in their very successful new Avalon Hotel property, just announced that um, they're cutting over 100 employees at that one property. Sales and marketing teams, food and beverage managers, all of those white collar professional business service jobs over 100 eliminated, and that was one of Marriott's new boutique concepts that was most successful in the country, only open um, two months. I think uh, manufacturing is gonna be slow to recover because not only businesses, but consumers have to restore their balance sheets. And so we're gonna be um, trying to repair the damage done by a month or two months of unemployment, getting behind on our mortgages. So I don't, I'm not looking for a real strong consumer season. I think retail can be very profitable if you can execute on click it and, and, um, and pick up or click it and deliver. Um, the container store had some real interesting uh, insights on that in their earnings. They said, look at, of the 50 stores they had to close during the virus, um, that the ones if they survive and don't go through bankruptcy, the ones that they stay with and renew leases on are all gonna have a physical ability to do click it and pick up. So those that are in line in a shopping center where there's no drive through or drive up lanes, they probably are not gonna continue. So we're gonna, we're gonna see a lot of restructuring of how we do retail, how we do leisure and travel. Um, maybe Airbnb is a beneficiary um, at the expense of hotels. But um, I think across the board, there's no 
one area, even logistics and transportation. It's gonna accelerate automation in the warehouse so we don't have virus outbreaks. It's gonna accelerate autonomous trucking, which already started in Florida and Texas at the beginning of the year. So I don't think any of us are unscathed. Well, when you talk about the wide, wide scale uh, problems there, it, it tends to make one think that possibly the recession we're heading into is going to be potentially as long as the last one uh, is that what we should think? Now here's, and it's a really good question because I, I'm kind of exhausted from comparisons to 2009. <laughs> so 2009 was a liquidity recession. Everything locked up. There was no liquidity. There was no debt. The CMBS market locked up. I was at the Fed at the time and we, we worked really hard at the New York Fed 2009 and 10 to fix that. And the solution was a top-down approach by the Fed. They didn't take interest rates to zero right away. Um, they were slow on policy response. They let home foreclosures develop. They didn't intervene with a loan forbearance program. And so it was put the money in the banks and hope it trickles down. And that didn't work out so great. <laughs> this one is a bottom up approach. The Fed moved very, very quickly while Congress was debating and trying to figure out how to do a CARES bill and who to, who to get to agree to it or not. And they said, look, it, we're gonna go ahead and we're immediately taking rates to zero within the first two weeks of this virus. They uh, went in and started buying everything that they could, including corporate paper. When they saw that even the investment grade stuff wasn't enough, they stepped in and they started buying non-investment grade paper and doing facilities like the new Main Street right now, which is just ranking up, uh, ramping up. They're also doing ETF stocks. I mean, the Fed is really stepping in and trying to keep the liquidity from a bottom up and their, and their stated goals are twofold. We cannot let workforce destruction get out of control. If we have structural loss of workforce, this will take maybe beyond years into a decade to recover. So they're doing everything this time right up front to stop the workforce destruction and make it so that it, it, uh, it comes back really quickly and isn't prolonged. And so I really applaud them on that. I just worry how big a balance sheet uh, should we let the Fed get? You know, it was down to $4 trillion after getting up to $4.5 trillion. And, um, and, and we ballooned it to over 7 trillion in 60 days here with a stated objective. They have to take it to 10, 12 or 20 trillion. That's what they'll do. Um, we forget there's a different type of inflation than commodity and asset prices. It's called currency inflation. And, we, and all we're doing is printing money at this thing right now. So at some point the Fed will have to worry about that, but maybe that's two, three years down the road. So I, I think the, the possibility and the option for this to be really quick in terms of let's say 18 to 24 months is there because of the rapid response by the Fed. They really threw everything at it this time, which we were very slow to do last time. 18 to 24 months. That sounds um, not quite so bad. <laughs> well, <laughs> talk to us about uh, loan defaults, you know, what you're, what you're seeing uh, right now uh, and, and what do you expect moving forward at, at this point when you look at it on June 2nd? Yeah, so let's look at a couple. Let's start with housing because a lot cues off of housing. So even with the loan forbearance program, we now have 8% of all more homeowners with mortgages in a loan forbearance program. To put that number in perspective, the historic high was 1%. <laughs> so going into this year, it, was, it wasn't even a quarter of a percent. So that's pretty dramatic. That tells you how many people are unemployed and having to avail themselves. If you were a homeowner that was at a 90 or 95% loan to value, an entry home buyer, first time home buyer, and you tack on a year of deferred uh, principal and interest payments, you're probably pretty close or over 100% LTV. What's their behavior gonna be like next year 
when they're at 100% LTV, what happens to home prices? The second one that concerns me is mortgage delinquencies. So even though we have this loan forbearance program, mortgage delinquencies in the last 30 days have doubled from 3% to 6%. So when you put the 8% in forbearance and 6% in delinquency, we have 14% of all homeowners not able to pay their mortgage right now. That has some really long-term implications uh, that we're gonna have to figure out. Let's look at the commercial side. So one of the best resources I follow is TREPP, T-R-E-P-P. Um, they track every permanent CMBS loan. And they said, look, we've already seen the turn coming off our bottom of 2% of or below in mortgage delinquencies, and it's now about 2.5%. But they said, what you have to understand is before a loan goes delinquent, it goes into a grace period. And that grace period isn't being studied, but it's, it's pretty substantial. And then it goes, uh, the loan gets transferred to a special service or what they call LTSS, Loans Transferred to Special Servicers. And to give you an idea of how badly this is happening already, um, in, uh, uh, in April, those numbers, the loans that were transferred to special servicing in the entire leisure travel uh, segment, hotels and whatnot, it was just two and a quarter percent. In the last 30 days, that went to 11 and a half percent. So, you know, when you look at these sectors, restaurants, you look at retail, um, you look at mom and pop, small business retail, you look at hotels, um, this, is, this is a really serious situation. So I think the credit metrics are gonna be quite severe. But there's one other piece of this, one other dimension. So a lot of people look at commercial real estate transaction activity as a bellwether for health. And so up until um, the 1st of May, CRE transaction activity was holding pretty strong. It was only down less than 5%. That wasn't the case in Europe and Asia. But here in the last um, 30 days, the Real Capitalytics folks have showed us a different picture. And um, what they're showing is the transaction activity is locking up. For example, in hotels, in the month of May, there were only 10 hotels nationwide that transacted. Put that in perspective, the all-time low was in April 2009 when 21 hotels transacted. So in the first quarter, we've already blown past that record. Um, the other thing though, that's an interesting dynamic that's um, hopeful for commercial real estate is one of the reasons that CRE transaction activity has slowed down is not because of a lack of demand or interest. It's because of mark-to-market accounting. The pension funds, PREA, the um, uh, Pension Real Estate Association, uh, just came out with a report and showed um, the number of pension funds, the top 500 had gone to the sidelines, 70% um, of them had gone to the sidelines with no commercial real estate transactions until they get through their mark-to-market accounting adjustments on their portfolios the end of June. And then they reallocate. So they may reallocate a lot of dollars that were in hotel and retail and load them up in multifamily and industrial. I think the PREA institutional folks will come back. That's two and a half trillion dollars of transaction activity that's stalled right now that I think comes back because where do these entities find yield? Are you gonna find it in a bond that can't even yield 70 basis points on a 10 year treasury? Are you gonna find it in stocks that have suspended their dividends? Or are you gonna find it in commercial real estate where a multifamily and industrial asset still were yielding four, five, six, seven percent cash on cash? So I think the hunt for yield is what's gonna bring, bring the transaction activity back up in the second half of the year. All right, well, we're gonna take a short break and we get back, I'm gonna ask AC, KC about rent collections. You know, After these incentives burn off, 
what what are we going to get for collected rents and in office and in multifamily and then what about values uh in underwriting moving forward so stay with us we'll take a quick break this is michael bull and this is america's commercial real estate show stay with us Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. My guest is Casey Conway, economist with CCIM, and we're doing the show today with a live audience from Riga Real Estate Group Atlanta. Uh, this segment is brought to you by Vista Property Report. Look, site selection and marketing commercial properties has now changed. With this product, you can pull 10 unique insights for any property. And guess what you're using? The power of a smart loan location data. You can sign up now and you can get 10 free reports. Just go to vistapropertyreport.com. Well, like I said, we're, we're continuing our corona coverage of what's going on, where are we, how are participants dealing with it, and what should we expect moving forward and KC we've had some some great stimulus as you mentioned in the previous segment from the government and you know with the PPP and all that sort of thing and it's probably helped a lot of our our tenants with unemployment and things pay the rent taking retail out for a moment uh, and maybe looking at you know apartments industrial and office which you know it seems like they've had really strong uh, rent collections so far at least the, the most of the clients I've talked to uh, what do you expect moving forward for the next three months or so for rent collections with what you see going on? Yeah, no, great question. So let's start with the really, really good news, industrial. Um, so I'm on a, on a board for a public REIT and we collected 100% of our rent in, in March, 96% um, um, in April. And when we did our earnings release the 4th or 5th of May, we'd already collected 93% of um, May's rent. Um, those numbers finished out all over 95%. We've averaged 95% uh, plus rent collection and occupancy for five straight years. We have we have good tenants like a you know a FedEx or an Amazon, so we haven't seen any problem. We're a smaller REIT. I looked at uh, I looked at Prologis. Prologis said, "Look at guys, we're we've collecting 93, 95 percent of our rent within the first week of the month that they reported, which was normal. Um, so they're not seeing problems." They said, uh, "Of all the uh, rent forbearance requests they got, they dismissed 70 percent of them because it was big companies trying to take advantage of the system. <laughs> the smaller companies, the 30 percent that had requested." They did things, they worked it out on a plan up front where it'll pay off over six to 12 months. So it's amortizing out um, and they see it, you know, something like single digit basis points of total revenue. So industrial is, is, is very good. And think of that because we shut down the ports, the rail, rail traffic numbers shut down by about 80 or 90%. They're the worst that they ever reported. Um, you look at trucking traffic, it didn't spike like we wanted, but we still kept things moving in and out of our warehouses with other things. It could be PP&E and instead of 
you know, video games or something else, you know, GameStop type stuff. So we, we kept those pretty full. So industrial is a good story. I don't see that changing. In fact, I see it increasing because we're going to do away with just-in-time inventory from the 80s and we're going to add supply stock. So we're going to figure out where do we put all this extra inventory just in case we need it for the next uh, pandemic or crisis. And so I think that's going to go into a lot of um, potential vacant retail type stuff, to be honest with you. On office, we know from 2009 financial crisis, office leases are generally longer in duration. They're more solid credit companies. Zoom has enabled office using type companies to continue working, whether they're an Equifax doing credit or a, or a bank, a Wells Fargo, Bank of America doing um, banking activity, they're able to do it. Citicorp reported their CEO, 100% of their workforce in the New York region is working remote, <laughs> but they have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet of office, office space in New York. They're paying the rent on those things. Equifax calls that redundancy cost. We're gonna let people work from home. We're gonna subsidize it in some way, but we're gonna to continue to pay that. It's really gonna be three, four, five years from now when companies say, how did this Zoom experiment work? how that remote work? And do we now maybe not renew as many of those leases in those high rise towers? On the multifamily, we've really had really strong numbers. Um, I'm gonna distinguish between workforce and student housing multifamily. Workforce, we're seeing 85, 90, 93% rent collections. Part of that is due to um, rent forbearance programs and intervention, the PPP programs. So those will all begin to burn off here over the summer and into the fall, and then we need to see what happens after that. But for the most part, if you're gonna work at remote or you need a shelter in place, you need a shelter. So people are doing a lot of things. I had one very large multifamily user contact me they own tens of thousands of units around the country. And they were a little concerned because they said, even with the forbearance programs and the PPP program, that over a third of their tenants paid their rent in May on their credit card. And they didn't understand it. But it goes to show you, in the old days, you know, it was always you pay, you pay the mortgage and the, you know, the rent first and then the car payment. And then in 2009, it shifted. We pay the car payment first and we never pay the mortgage. Well, we're back to paying that rent and mortgage first. So um, workforce, I think, is going to stay strong. I'm very concerned about student housing. We have 136 college towns that play NCAA football. And we don't know if the students are returning to campus in the fall. I have two daughters, in, uh, one in grad school in Florida and one in undergrad in Alabama. Most of, the, most of the, both of them, when they were returned home, they were worried because they lost their job. They still had a, a lease that ran through uh, August. So when they brought me home their lease, we looked at it and we found because of the um, emergency orders put in place by each governor and the president, state of emergency, it triggered active God or active university clauses where we could break the lease the end of March. And we did. <laughs> so the student housing is gonna be a much different story than workforce. So, the panic over people not paying rent isn't there yet, but when these intervention programs um, wind down, I'm a little concerned we could see something change there on the multifamily side. So it's just a little, I guess, too soon to to get a feel for how that's going to to work out, right? Right now, then. Yeah. So I think the workforce multifamily, especially if you're in a, a city with a lot of tech workforce or workforce that can work remote, think of Atlanta, financial services, technology. You know, think of the Equifax, think of the banks, think of all the technology companies um, that can still work remote. I, I think those stay strong. The people still continue to get a paycheck. They're not dependent on a, a PPP program. So I think in a market like Atlanta, we do really well. I worry more like a market like in Orlando. It's heavy leisure and travel and tourism. I worry about a New York 
because a lot of folks are giving up on the New York region and the density model and have already left. I have over 100 colleagues that work for JP Morgan, Citigroup, rating agencies, and they've already packed up and left and they're not coming back. And they've told their employer, I can work Zoom remote anywhere and they're now in North Carolina or they're in Florida um, and they're not coming back. So I worry about you know a San Francisco and New York, maybe even in Illinois, but I think a market like Atlanta, we're gonna be okay on the multifamily. For my listeners in uh, New York City, maybe they will come back. And <laughs> <laughs> we, we heard that before after 9-11, right? No one's going to uh, be in a high rise again. Yeah. Um, yeah so, well, um, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I want to ask you about valuations. And you, know, you mentioned before that, you know, commercial real estate is going to be, suppose really should be a strong asset class. Where else are you going to put your your money? So based on the the amount of dry powder in the market, the stability of the banks and lenders this time, and, um, and the low cap rates that we had and low interest rates we have, what would you assume right now that cap rates would do moving forward? Now, I get it that value is going to fluctuate on NOI, and some of our properties may have higher expenses, uh, may have higher vacancy, but when you look at cap rates alone, what do you expect moving forward there? So, really good point you bring out here. So, most of my last two years at the Fed in 2009 and 10 at the New York Fed, I dealt with this, this grid that had um, how, how much you could lose in value from zero to, to zero to 40%. And at the top was the change in cap rate. So you went from say a five to a seven, 25% of the value went away. And NOI, as NOI deteriorated, you could lose another 20, 30% of value. So what we saw in 2009, because it was a liquidity crisis, we saw cap rates move um, 200 basis points in about six quarters between 2008 and mid-2009. Um, we're not going to see that this time. This is not a liquidity crisis. The Fed is keeping leverage low. They're keeping rates low. And they said it's not just something we're going to you know, get rid of at the end of this year. This could be one, two, or three years where we see sub-1% interest rates. So I think that leverage ability keeps liquidity pumped in. The Fed is not going to allow the banks to have a redevelopment of huge credit and commercial real estate problems again. So they're going to keep the liquidity in there. If they have to put Fannie Freddie mortgages on their balance sheet, if they have to buy CMBS mortgages, the Fed's going to buy whatever there isn't a price for, and they're going to keep that cap rate very stable. The change is going to come on the NOI side. How do we reprice things? So in office, if now your density ratio goes from one employee per 150 to 180 square feet to over 200, as a company, I, I, it doesn't have the same value to me. I got to reprice the rent. If I'm in a retail setting and now not just a fire marshal telling me how many people can be in my restaurant or my business, but I have a public health official saying, now you can only have 50 to 70% what the fire marshal says, and I, I can't generate the same revenue. I reprice what that what that real estate is worth. So I think the repricing comes on the NOI side, not on the cap rate. We are not going to see big shearing movements, uh, even on the hotel side. I think the liquidity is there that if they can make a decent cash on cash, they're going to study the NOI. What's the new ADO? What's the average occupancy? What's the new rev par? And I think you're going to see that I can't pay a million dollars for a hotel room in New York anymore, but maybe I'll pay four or five hundred thousand for one. Am I going to pay a half million a room, which somebody did <laughs> in March in Atlanta and Buckhead? Um, maybe not. Maybe it goes back to a hundred or two hundred thousand a room. So we're going to see the repricing on NOI, not cap rate. And Casey, you've talked about a lot of issues moving down the road with a lot of industries. 
Um, what would what is your message to politician and business leaders as we try to gauge the risk of of not working and 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 staying home and the risk of getting back to business and getting things going? No, you're you're exactly right. And so I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago that's on our Acre website. Um, uh, acre.culverhouse.ua.edu um, called What's Working and Why. Uh, and it really looked at why we're going back to work. Why are states reopening? So from the health standpoint, we haven't fixed this thing at all. Cases aren't going down. I'll, I'll give you a good example. Um, on the April 1st, the total number of global cases of COVID outbreak were under 900,000. Today, they're over 6.8 million. When you look at the individual states, we still have rising cases, we still have hot spots. So the virus hasn't gone away. We don't have vaccines. As we reopen, we're gonna commingle largely asymptomatic people. That's the real worry. <laughs> and a lot of those are women because they have the double X chromosome, so they don't get it as bad as us, as us men. Um, so when they come out and commingle, um, we have more opportunity for virus transmission. So we haven't solved the public health. We don't have a vaccine. We don't have enough testing. So why in the world are we opening? It's a simple economic question. So when you look at 100,000 deaths in the United States with 330 million population, you know we kill almost that many people a year in automobile accidents and other causes. Visual Capitalist has a great graphic on how many people die each day, week, and month in the United States from different things. And the COVID virus is a small little dot on the graphic versus these big bubbles in other areas. So why are we doing it? Well, we don't have an endless pot of money. States only have so much in unemployment insurance trusts. In a state like Georgia, where we had a good rainy day fund, we're down to four weeks of unemployment insurance benefits. So if we run out, we have to borrow from the federal government. Most states had to do that in 2009 and 10, and it took them as much as five years to repay it. So the states are saying, look, we don't have this endless pot of money. We got to get back to work. We've got to figure out how to manage with the virus. We did this with SARS in 2003 and, and did just fine. We did it with polio for 50 years, where 100,000 kids a year were paralyzed from 1916 to 1956 until we got the, the uh, Salk um, polio vaccine. So I, I think the answer is we're weighing the public health risk against the economic carnage. And you can keep everybody safe, but not have enough funds to feed them and house them and do everything else. Um, and, and you don't have a good result. So it's really balancing and weighing public health versus economic risk. And that's what's going on. And that's why we're reopening. Well, the economic carnage, that also causes some health issues as well, right? It does. And the, and the doctors, even uh, Dr. Fauci have come out and said, look at whether it's, you know, you know, we all get you know, a simple cabin fever to psychological issues. I can tell you, I have two daughters that are 19 and 25, and they're very scarred from this situation and, and afraid to go out and and kind of messed up by it that we're going to take it's going to take some work to get them back feeling probably as secure in the world as new yorkers were on 9 11. um you know it took a long time to get them back to the point where whenever they heard a noise they didn't look up in in the sky and see if a plane was hitting so this is going to have a lasting impact but i i'm in the camp that we can we can get through it we can do mitigation um if people act sanely uh, you know, wear masks or prudent, um, you know, we can fly, we can travel, we can interact, we can do business again. And uh, just locking the whole place up is, I don't think is the answer. I'm not in that camp. Yeah. Well, Casey, what would you leave our audience of commercial real estate participants here uh, in Atlanta and all around the country to think about moving forward uh, related to the economy and commercial real estate? 
Yeah, so I started off saying, you know, look up and forward. It's the only way to find light at the end of the tunnel. And granted, even though all lights of the tunnel aren't necessarily fresh air in the outside and they're just another freight train coming down the tracks, at least you'll know to get off the tracks and not get run over and still have a chance to find the real light at the end of the tunnel. The other one is engage in what if thinking. This thing is so fluid that what you think and what you hear today in numbers and assumptions are probably 180 degrees different 30 days later, a week later. Just look at two weeks ago. We, did any of us really envision the kind of social unrest that we're now experiencing and what kind of impact that's having? That wasn't something that was really in the, in the forecast thing. Um, we could have a vaccine you know, very, very quickly and it solved this problem and turn things around. The stock market I was reading today, this afternoon before I got on, the NASDAQ 100 is within 1% of its all-time high in February. <laughs> and you're saying, what in the world is the stock market seeing that I'm not? And what they're doing is they're looking forward and they're making assumptions that say, all right, what's the present value of this disruption for three months, six months, 12 months, but the fundamentals of these companies are better a year out. So early in my career, I got acquainted with something when I was at Equitable Real Estate called market correction factors. <laughs> and so I was the young guy, the young MAI that Equitable gave the oil patch markets to, Texas up through Colorado. And there was no demand, there was no leasing. It was as gloom as you could think about it. But the, the fund owners of those assets said, look, it, it can't stay that way forever. So why don't, we, why don't we make some assumptions as to how long this goes? Is it two years, three years? So we'd model that dire situation for two or three years, and then we would normalize over the next two years and have the back end of the cash flow um, back to a fairly normal state. But what that meant is instead of losing 50 to 75% of an asset's value, we only lost 30 to 50%. I think that's what the market's doing. I think as us as professionals, can we look at these assets? Can we think about adaptive reuse? You know, what are we gonna do with all of this empty restaurant space or a retail space or even, um, hotels that don't fully make it. Can they be affordable housing opportunities? What can we do with them? I'll give you one last great example on this thinking. It just happened this week. Up in Gwinnett County, I-85, going out towards Gwinnett Mall, those are familiar with Atlanta, there was a failed Dave & Buster's near the Gwinnett Place Mall. There was an entity that's specializing in building up and buying assets to store supply stock that bought it, and they have a client that's looking to put away supply stock like PP&E equipment and that's what they're going to use the Dave and Buster's for. So they bought it for something less than 50 bucks a square foot that cost 150 bucks a square foot to build originally. So I say, look up and forward, do your what if thinking, whatever assumptions you have today are probably going to be different 30, 60, 90 days from now. And that just, just get in your mindset that we're going to have a plethora of worst ever economic reports through the summer, just get past them. And I would say like, I found so many encouraging nuggets in the first quarter corporate earnings statements across the board, across every industry, even Marriott and Hilton, even Delta and Southwest Airlines had really encouraging things um, where they see things going. And so um, I'd say, you know, when we get later in the summer and we get ready to go through second quarter earnings uh, late this summer, really pay attention to those. I think they're gonna tell us a lot more, but you know, take a couple of aspirin and a Tum and a, maybe a, a, a chaser, a beer chaser with uh, the next bad report like Friday which I think is gonna probably show us at a 30% unemployment rate, but that's not gonna be 30% a year from now. Okay, Riga members stay with us. We're gonna have a Q&A after this. KC Conway, thank you for joining us, sir. Great information as usual. Thanks, Michael. 
All right. And thank you for being with us around uh, the world and around the U.S. listening or watching the show. Thanks for being with us. Uh, let us know what you think about the show. Appreciate you sharing it on your favorite social media. Until next time, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.